The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 392 for Monday, April 16th, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We provide some answers, we provide some tips of our own. Occasionally, we pull in some topics that are of interest. And together, we all learn something new about the Mac. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. But not only the Mac, but also maybe our various iDevices. That's right. Yes. Thank you for the clarification. We all just try yeah. to learn something new. It's just that's how it goes. That uh, Five things. Five like things. We've, we've set, right. set, we've set the, the bar at five. One is is too few, but ah. So today's you know today would have been a fabulous day for so many people in the United States, but uh, they, they pushed it ahead of day, Dave. Or should I not mention tax day? Oh yes, I, tax I know. Day. I know it gets many people very angry having to do that, but <laughs> hey, it's a part of living in a democracy, right? That's right. Part of living here, or that that's that that's my view. Yeah. So yeah. So I got mine in the mail. It's off to Hartford and uh, hopefully it makes it. Oh, that's good. You know, you can file electronically, my friend. They, they have these computer things and, and you can do your taxes um, right there and send them in and they even send you a text message. And you know, when they get uh, your not return. that we're the tax geek gab, but uh, so number one, uh, uh, below a certain income level, yes, you can. Uh, well, the thing is, I do not feel I should have to pay for the privilege of filing my taxes. And this is where I find it unusual, at least in the United States. So below a certain income level, apparently there are a number of outfits that will offer to file for free and and do all the not just the main form, but the, you know, the, the uh, sure. capital gains and all that stuff here. And, um, you know, I could have done that this year, but I, I still chose not to. I just almost find it therapeutic to both do the paper form because, you know, I'm getting I'm one with the numbers. I yeah. get a calculator, uh, although it's the Mac calculator. I do the PDFs, which you can download from the IRS site and print them out. Um, what, what still bugs me, though, is, again, so the, the federal government um, will, under certain circumstances, but the state always, and, and that's what I like about the state. You go to their website, you punch in a few numbers. It's free if you want to uh, pay through your bank account, which uh, in both cases, I owed a little money. and uh but I, I don't feel I should have to pay for filing my taxes. And yet and yet you pay certified mail fees to send your taxes in uh, using U.S. mail. Right. Just just um, keeping it. I, no, 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 no. I well, perhaps it's foolish, but no, I just paid for a 85 cent stamp. Oh, yeah. Well, you should send them certified so that you have some proof Probably. that you filed on time. And if you're paying certified mail, then, you know, the fee that you're paying to do online is is a negligible delta there. So mm, wise advice. I do have a receipt that showed that I did buy the stamp at the postal kiosk for 85 cents. And uh, hopefully that's proof enough. But I, I will see within but a couple of days because they're it's quick not, about. It's huh? not proof enough if you. If no, you I understand. No, certified yeah. mail is is a legal Correct. thing. But uh, uh, based on last year, they, they are real quick about cashing that check. So we've started with one topic nobody likes to talk about. We, we actually have. Two, Are you going to start with another one? We have two more topics that, that oh, I don't no. think any any computer user should have to talk oh, about. Uh, but these are relevant. But these are actually relevant. That's right. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, with topic number one, we'll let listener David kick it off. But but uh, well, go ahead, David. 
Hi, John and Dave. David from London in the UK here. Uh, a question about Mac security. There's been a lot of talk about Mac malware after the recent Java-based exploit. I was wondering what your take on Mac security was now and running a full-time anti-malware software. Thanks, guys, for a great show. And this is where I cut myself off. <laughs> Thanks, David. Uh, yeah, so this, frankly, John, this sucks because... Uh, Here's what happened, right? There was this this flashback Trojan that was uh, identified by, I guess, F-Secure uh, last week, maybe. Correct. Yep, right. And then Apple released, and, and there was a, they, they offered you some command line utilities that we reposted at, at TMO as a courtesy mm -hmm. to the readers that walked you through going to the terminal. You run two, two commands, and it would, it, the results of those would indicate whether or not you had a problem and had to remove mm -hmm. this, this virus. So I did that on the day that we posted the article, and everything looked good. Yep. And uh, and then Apple came out with an update to Java that did two things. One, it protected against this. And then also it installs a little utility that checks your Mac um, kind of on the fly for this uh, this particular uh, flashback Trojan. And okay. as I did the Java install, a little window came up. And uh, actually, the first thing that happened was it paused. And, and this is, you know, on a on a four core uh, i7 MacBook. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, iMac. And it like the whole machine wedged for for like probably 10 seconds or so. And then uh, a little screen came up and it said malware was found and removed from your computer. The osx.flashback.iv malware was found and removed. Uh, and then it has a little box that was checked that said report malware to Apple to protect other users. And then I could click OK. So uh, so I got caught. I, I got a virus wow. on my Mac. John, this is the first time since like whatever year it would have been that I ran disinfectant on yeah, uh, yeah. on system seven. I, I mean, this sucks because it means, you know, uh, at some point, I probably will need to run full-time virus protection software. I'm not yet. I, 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 um, but, but maybe I, you know, at some point I'm going to need to, and I hate that. Uh, I concur because in my opinion, the, and I still, so one, I want to be clear on this term here. And I think what we saw was truly what we're going to call a virus. So to me, the, the some people may not care about the definitions, but I do. There's a virus, which to me, a virus is something that without user interaction spreads far and wide. Yeah. Again, with that, without user interaction, malware to me is something a little different. And I think this flashback thing crossed the line between malware, because in some cases it would prompt you for your user, uh, for your admin password. But in a lot of cases it would install itself without you. So, so to me, I think the technical definition is that, that this was a virus. Yeah. They, <laughs> I, I have then to again, think I think you had to go to a web page. I think you had to go to a web page which exploited, and this is a fish shake at Apple. So, so the whole problem here is that Apple takes the responsibility of updating Java to themselves. That's right. Right. And, yes, and this is right. the start of the whole problem. So this was a known problem with Java, which for the uninitiated, Java is a platform independent language. Uh, and it's nice because the thing is you write code in Java and depending, uh, and it really doesn't matter what computer you're on as long as the people that make the computer software have a Java 
uh, what we're going to Java virtual machine or a thing that understands Java code, you can write the code once and then it'll run on any computer that understands Java. So that's the awesome part about Java. Here's the bad news is that the way it works now is that Apple chose to implement Java on their own, especially Java updates. And there was a known bug that was known months ago and Apple chose not to update their Java implementation. And so this thing happened. Uh, so fish shake at Apple. Now I, I've looked into this bit and I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much on the mark here is that if Apple had released this update to a known problem with Java, this would not have happened. If only Woody had gone to the police. Exactly. And we're yes. talking about Woody Woodpecker. That's right. So part of the problem here is Apple. Uh, Apple's usually pretty good about security, but in this case, this case I, I, I can't, uh, they dropped the ball. They, they dropped the ball in a big way. That now, actually makes me, up- that makes me feel better because it, it, uh, this is, this is like the type of virus or the type of problem that you get when you have script kitties out there, right? People that take a known exploit and, and attack people that have not protected themselves against it. Of course, in this case, every Mac user was in the group of people that have not protected themselves against it. And that's, that's bad. I agree with you. Fish shake, big fish shake at Apple. But it makes me feel better as a Mac user that this virus wasn't something that could not have been protected against. Right. It it wasn't they were exploiting a known hole. And it even then it took a long time for it to happen, as opposed to us getting, you know, uh, blindsided by something like the Windows world has happened uh, over and over and over again. So so in that sense, it does allow me to keep my smug Macness going. No, (laughs) Uh, but well, you know what I mean? You still it, can, I feel- but the thing is, so this particular exploit was due to a problem with Java, not right. due to a problem with the Mac OS. Right. However, because Apple dropped the ball again, it's kind of Apple's fault and they screwed up. Now they, they made up for it though. And actually it was interesting because if you looked at the updates in software update, and if you haven't run software update, please run it now. Stop listening to the show. Although we don't say you should do that often. <laughs> Stop listening to the show and run software update yeah. for goodness sake, because the Apple released not one, not two, but three updates to Java. And the last one, and here's the interesting thing that they did with the last one, Dave, but based on my understanding is they actually set up Java to disable itself. If it has not been run in a while. And I think that the general, right. The general guidance with this sort of problem here um, to David's question is that any third-party technology that can run software that's not native Mac software, and this can be Java, or the other <laughs> criminal here is Flash. Um, some people have suggested that you may want to disable Java or Flash to not be prone to attacks that rely on security issues with those platforms. Because they're platforms that Apple does not necessarily have full control over. Now, their, their latest update, from what I understand, and I think it's kind of clever and it's a, it's a little controversial, but uh, from what I understand, how the latest Java update, what will happen is that if, if you have not run anything in Java for a while, they will disable the ability to run Java in your browser. And on the real world, you got, uh, so on the, one, on the tech standpoint, I'm like, well, how dare they disable Java? On the other hand, I got to think about it. And, you know, the only time I run Java is I believe I have a couple of applications that are coupon printing apps. Okay. 
And those are the only things I recall through my browser that say, oh, by the way, this is a Java thing. Is this cool to run? Other than that, I I would argue that most Mac users probably don't need to run Java unless they're Java developers. I don't know about you. I mean, how many times have you run Java things? Well, I run um, uh, the PyTivo um uh, what what, oh. I, what do I call it? The the, the PyTivo thing, which uh, PyTivo X actually, which which runs a Java thing behind Ooh. the scenes. Okay. Uh, and I run that on one of my Macs. So so that's certainly there. Um, if someone runs, uh, I think there was a there was a um, like crash plan, I think, requires Java. Right. OK, one of one of the backup utilities. Yes, yeah. I, I think it's crash plan or, yeah, or another it, one. I think it is. But, you know, there I mean, there are legitimate apps that uh, it, like you said, Java is an awesome language because you can write it on, uh, you know, write once deploy many. Right. And and that's that's good. But but I like the concept of a, if you're not using it regularly, then turn it off. And and if I start using it, warn me that, hey, do you know what you're doing here? And and if I don't, then then that's a, it's a good warning sign. So I like it. It's good. And so, you may ask yourself, how could I enable Java if it has been disabled? And I think I know the answer to this. There is right. an application called Java preferences. Uh-huh. And actually I had uh, until this whole situation came, uh, you know, to haunt us all here, I, I really never run this, but if you, you know, you can spotlight this, or I think it's in your utilities folder, I, I believe, but it's called Java Preferences, and it has a tab here, right? right the, the first one that probably comes up, the general tab, and it says, oh, well, here's the Java virtual machines you have installed on your computer. And there are little check marks. And I imagine what happens is that this latest update, if you haven't run it in a while, will uncheck those. So if you want to run the Java app, well, maybe, uh, I don't know, because I haven't tried it, but I, I would assume either the OS will say, hey, it, it's Java, and do you want to run Java preferences and enable this, or maybe offer a nicer way to do that? But yeah, cool. Oh, that, uh, yeah, you're right. It is in the utilities folder. I had no idea it was there, and it's there in Snow Leopard too. For anybody that cares, so that's good. But but I mean the the the, the greater question. I mean, what do you think, Dave? I mean, I I still think the Mac. Uh, we shouldn't get smug. No, I was I was of course Mac, joking about that. But uh, yeah, I mean the Mac is not. Uh, any no computer is immune to malware or trickery or things like that. I still think the Mac in the grand scheme of things is better than others, but it's a bigger target now. So I think it, we're going to see more of this stuff. That's so. the, that's the difference. And we've all known this, that yeah, as the Mac gains in, in popularity and more specifically market share, it is going to be a bigger target. So, yep, that's, um, that's where we are. I would say for the most part, if, if you all of a sudden get a dialogue asking you to, input your admin password <laughs> think very carefully yeah what did i do to trigger this is this something i expected in my workflow like i'm installing something or doing I, I initiated something but if something just comes up yeah then then that's a good thing and i i I would love to know when this thing got installed on my mac i mean i know when it wasn't installed and then i know when it was but uh but i would love to know how but uh but yeah, it was my main work machine. It was it was quite disturbing to get that little window to pop up. I'm sad, Dave. I know. You All got right. caught. So we had. I know I got caught. Uh, so we had a. Um, uh, we have a, another topic that nobody likes to talk about, uh, or that's just odd to talk about, but but is relevant. 
Uh, but first, I want to talk about something we do like to talk about, which is our first sponsor for this show, which is Gazelle. Now, if you visit Gazelle.com, they've actually streamlined everything. So if you've they've been a sponsor for a while, as many of you know, but uh, but recently they changed things and they've made it really easy to go. And uh, and you don't have to even type in what you want to sell to them anymore. You pick it from a list. So, uh, you know, you go right to gazelle.com. There's a little drop down there. You pick what you're selling. Of course, all the Apple stuff is at the top of the list, presumably because it's better. No, no, because it's it's alphabetically at the top. Uh, although the, the list isn't alphabetically sorted uh, entirely. So maybe because it is their, their, uh, it is their, their favored uh, platform to buy. So that's good for those of us that are totally steeped in the Mac world and spend way too much money on this stuff and have more Apple devices than we need. You can take the ones that you don't need and sell them to gazelle. So you do, it's uh, it's great. You go there, you pick, you know, your, your iPad, you click, get an offer. You tell them what you have and what you're selling. And then, uh, you know, then they, they, they tell you what they're going to pay for it. You pick what your condition is and, uh, and then they'll pay you and they'll pay you with, uh, with PayPal and it, it's just a, an Amazon gift card and you can actually get an extra 5% if you, uh, if you take it in Amazon money, which is cool, uh, or they'll just mail you a check and, uh, and they lock your offer for 30 days. This is something to remember. Uh, if you think there's an update coming, you might be able to hedge your bets a little bit and get a little more by actually going and locking in your device that you think you're going to replace within the next 30 days before anything is announced. So, uh, so you can go check all this out, uh, gazelle.com. I've used them. Um, I don't think you've used them, uh, John, to actually complete a transaction. Uh, but, uh, but I've used them and, and several, several folks here in the TML family have used them and it's, it's been a very, very smooth experience. And, uh, and I don't think they knew who we were coming in. I think they treated us like they would have treated anyone else, which was, uh, which was fantastic. So, uh, that's gazelle gazelle.com. And thanks very much for our uh, for sponsoring the show. All right. Now on to uh, the second topic that is the pain odd. train. We're the, the, pain, the train. pain train. I like it. Uh, I saw a tweet from Chuck Joyner uh, of Mac voices on um, uh, Saturday. I think it was. And, uh, and the, the interesting uh, thing was he said, I defragged my MacBook Pro last night with Drive Genius, which is if you're going to defrag, that's the way to do it. And it feels like a new machine. He says, sorry, pundit friends, but a defrag can make a big difference. And I saw this and I took it at face value that it, that it made a big difference for him. So I I was curious because they're defragmenting is one of those things. Now, before we go any deeper, John, I think it's very important uh, for us to state that defragmenting is something you should never, ever do on an SSD drive. You should only do this on mechanical rotational hard drives uh, because there's no point in doing it on an SSD and it's not going to save you anything. The concept of defragmenting is uh, on your hard drive. We've talked about this before where you have kind of all the data that's out on the drive, but you also have this table of contents that keeps track of where the data is. The defragging actually touches the data. And what can happen is everything on the hard drive is chunked up into blocks and you can have something that spans, you know, many blocks, sometimes hundreds or, or more. And it's more efficient if all of those blocks for that one file are stored in sequence together so that the, the heads of the drive uh, don't have to jump all over the place to read each block. You can just go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And it can really make things faster if things are 
such that they're scattered all over the place. So that's what defragmenting does is it goes through the drive and keep it stitches everything together and keeps all these files data um, organized in a nice way. So I took this. Nah, that's good. Okay. All right. So I took, you know, I took Chuck's comment at, at face value, John, and then, and, and I asked him, I said, how long has it been since you either reformatted, which is going to force a defragmentation sort of kind of as a result of the process or did a defrag? Because if it's been more than I, for me, I find that if it's been more than two years that I've not reformatted and I'm using the same drive, then yeah, for me, a defrag makes a difference. And Chuck says, I did it in prep for Macworld. So that would have been early January, which totally blew my mind because two months is not a, a recommended service interval for, uh, for defragmenting uh, drive a normal, normal situation. But, uh, we went on and, and got a little more in depth and he said, he's mostly full on his drive, 85% full, uh, which is going to force things to be fragmented more often. And because he's a podcaster like us and because he does video, he's dumping tons of data on and off that drive regularly. And so in that case, the drive is going to get fragmented, uh, especially working with video, which you've just got huge chunks of data. And and so it, it makes sense that he would run into this. Now, uh, I'm curious to your thoughts on this, John, but my advice to Chuck is either partition or use a different drive. So you're not doing this to your boot drive. Dump your data on and off a separate partition so that uh, your boot drive doesn't have to be defragmented every couple of months and you're only defragmenting your data partition. And it's a it's kind of a much cleaner and it'll keep your system running faster because your your boot drive and your applications and all of that stuff aren't going to get uh, lumped in with this fragmentation problem. So I'm glad you asked what I think, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so the one thing which I beamed this to you is an article, which uh, I'm going to back off from, but initially Apple's position was you really didn't need to do this. And they actually have an article, which I'll link to, and it's archived, and maybe there's a good reason, but it was about disk optimization with Mac OS X. Now, the thing is, Mac OS X, on its own, will do a very high-level optimization of grouping itty-bitty little files to, to make them one contiguous file. And it kind of happens in the background, and it's magic. But it doesn't meet the needs, uh, I think what you're saying, Dave, of users that shuffle around large amounts of data like you and I and Chuck. Yeah. And that this is where you want to have something. And I'm totally with you. I mean, the thing is, I run on my mini here, and I probably should run it on, on my MacBook Pro, but on my mini here, I'm running Drive Pulse, which is, a, you know, as we mentioned, a, a ProSoft's, a, and I wish I could hug everybody at ProSoft. You know, they're just great. You no. can. <laughs> no, dude, the, the next time you're in California, go and visit I'll, their go and visit their, their shop. Yeah. And I'll hug all of them. Yeah, absolutely. But this, That'll the, be a little but, weird. But, but, but I got to say, I mean, it's... orders and stuff. Uh, yeah. No, I know most of them. The, the, I think they'd be cool with it. But the, the thing that I really like, and once I got Drive Genius uh, with promotional consideration, of course, is the Drive Pulse thing. And one thing that it does is that it occasionally will check... And it's good, actually, on my Mac Mini, because my Mac Mini, unfortunately, I got it with a slug of a drive, a Toshiba drive, and, I, and I'm going to upgrade it at some point. But it, it checks for 
a number of things. And one thing it checks for is fragmentation status. And if it detects that your drive is X percent fragmented, it says, you know what, dude, your drive's a mess. Um, Let me clean it up for you. And the way they implement it is great because you say, okay, do a defrag and it'll actually reboot into like a special magic mode that will defragment the drive and then reboot again. And then everything's great. So especially for sluggish drives, like again, I, uh, Uh, what do I have here? Toshiba MK3225GSXF. Uh, I, I wish I wasn't so cheap when I got this drive because this is like the lowest performing drive, uh, I, I think, in existence. And it actually, I think I told you, it actually ratchets down, even though this machine has a SATA 2 interface, this actually ratchets down to a SATA 1 interface, which is terrible. So, nice. so fragmentation, uh, I'm going to back off on my prior statement that mac os 10 kind of takes care of it if you're a power user or you move a lot of data then yeah you probably should and or we- or if you keep your drive more than about 70 percent full all the time well, that, and that's the other thing because the problem is yeah as the drive fills up it, it's the, the os is just struggling it's like where can i put this data i, I got to go somewhere as you mentioned the drive catalog i mean it it has to meet the request immediately. It's like, I, I got to put data somewhere. Where, where, where do I put it? Right. So it scatters it around. Yeah. Right. And as drive, and, and that's another good guideline is never let your drive get too full because like they've said is, as when your drive gets too full, the, the OS is struggling where to put the data. And in all likelihood, it's going to spread it all over the place. Now with an SSD, find, with an SSD, you probably can let it get more full than that. Uh, I mean, it's up to the SSD to kind of do its own management on the deleted files and all of that. But but you don't have the fragmentation issue. So you, you probably could get to 90 percent, you know, eh, and without too much. You trouble. have you have the trim issue. Right. So the, so you do have the issue of dirty cells where if you write to a cell that has not been scrubbed, then the drive will spend more time than it should scrubbing it before it writes data there. But yeah. And uh, and as you said, I mean, the thing is, think of like a record player and moving a needle on a record player. The thing is, with an SSD, you don't have this problem because you're not moving a physical arm and head across a platter. It, it, you it's did all just virtual. date yourself. You know that, right? With the record player. Talking comment. about a record player? Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's the best analogy because it's a needle on oh. the platter. It's the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, and, and for, the, for, for those listening... <laughs> Hey, you know what? Uh, there's there's a thing called a reel to reel tape. Look that up. <laughs> I actually had one of those when I was a wee lad, Dave. I actually had, yeah, and it fascinated me. I had a little tiny, almost pocket sized reel to reel recorder. Um, I don't know why I wanted it, but it, it was just cool. No, it was something that recorded sound, and you could play it back. And there were these reels, but um, but yeah, Chuck uh, again brings up a great point. The the fragment, uh, the, but. To your statement, Dave, the problem is defragging if the power goes out or something bad happens, to be honest, you're screwed. Well, no, not uh, you that's may be not, screwed. Well, depending be. on the uh, depending on the algorithm, if it's not right. if it's not careful about what it puts where or what it changes. So it should be like, all right, I'm going to change the catalog. I'm going to change where this data is. But but I'm still saying if if power fails at the wrong point during that operation, it can be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I absolutely, and, and that, that's the thing because I, I, I have in my PC pad. So this was on the PC when, you know, defrag software was in its infancy. And, and I had one occasion where everything just fell apart where I think power went out or the machine crashed. And then all of a sudden I had a brick 
and it was very unpleasant. So for a long time, I was very uh, hesitant to do a defrag because uh, again, it, it, it's shuffling, it, it's dealing intimately with the catalog and, and the data sectors and moving it all around. And I'm still going to say if, if, if something, if the power goes out or, or, or the machine crashes, you could have a brick. So, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. You definitely want to back up before you do it. Which which should go without saying, especially anybody that's been listening to this show for more than about two weeks. But uh, but but it is a good thing to say. Yeah. All right. Are we good with the defrag thing? <laughs> I think we've said more more that can be. <laughs> yes. Good. All right. So the the next topic is 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 actually an interesting thing. Um, uh, I, I want to talk uh. about cars and and integration because because there's an interesting thing happening. And and my trip to South by I've wanted to talk about this since South by Southwest, but I've conveniently avoided it. And and part of the reason that I've conveniently avoided it is is my own uh, personal uh, I don't know if embarrassment's the right word, but I I dislike the stigma associated with the brand of vehicle that I drive. And and the uh, <laughs> and and this topic requires me to talk about that. So. I have um, I, I, I shake my fist at I, people that drive what you drive. I know. I know. So I currently drive a BMW X3, which is awesome. <sighs> it, I can fit my drums in it. I love the way it drives. But the real reason that I bought. Well, there's two reasons that I bought it. One is because I really like the way it drives. But the other reason is it is such a geeky vehicle. There is so much technology in this thing. Uh, it, it's so cool. Uh, and, and a lot of it is completely unrelated to my iPhone or my iDevices, but a lot of it relates to it. And in fact, I special ordered this with the apps version so that I actually have apps that I run on my iPhone and and I can sync up to web radio. Um, I can actually uh, unlock my car from from an app, John, which is pretty cool. I can flash my lights from an app. Uh, oh, I've seen that now. Yeah. So a lot of them have. Uh, either iDevice or Android apps that let you yeah. commune with your vehicle. Yeah, you can commune with it. But, of cool. but it's cool. I can get like data out of my ve- out of my car and it tells me my average miles per gallon and all this stuff. This stuff is totally unnecessary, but it totally speaks to my 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 inner geek. And uh, as anybody, I mean, come on, I'm a geek. So so I've liked this. But and 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 a lot of the tech in it is really, really smooth. And and when I got this, there was nothing else that really kind of had this this level of integration and, and just smooth technology. I mean, I can talk to the GPS and it I just say the address and it gets it right. When I put it into reverse, I really. Get, yeah, I can say like if I want to go to one, two, three, any street, I simply say that I say one, two, three, any street, you know, anywhere, New Hampshire. And it says processing. And then it reads me the address so back. It's are awesome. Are they linking to your iDevice or is no, it their built-in GPS? That's and, just and built what, in. what what um do you know what engine they're using for the speech? No, I don't know what engine they're using for the okay. speech. Because yeah. I imagine they're probably licensing something from somebody, of course. whether it be nuance or, or right. whatever. But, oh. but it, it works really well. And you know, we have this in other in we we have a, a Sienna, a Toyota minivan that has ostensibly has voice commands, but it takes me 10 minutes to via voice to program the GPS. Mm. And it's this frustrating process. And the kids hear a lot of swearing and, uh, and it's just not really that productive. <laughs> no, it's bad. Uh, but, but this one, it works. And, and again, one of the reasons I got it was because of how well it, it, uh, it integrated with the iPhone and there's this little snap in connector you can get to do the apps. And, uh, and then I was at South by Southwest and, you know, 
the 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 American car companies got got way behind. But but let me tell you something. I'm I'm surprised the hippies didn't, you know. <laughs> rise up against you in your beamer well you know it's again i it's I, I don't buy it for the brand i buy it for for what it is and uh, and i even said to my wife when i got it i said i wish i could take the the decals off you know but you can't so it's fine again you get over yourself you know sure you can no it's not good it would leave you these put, gaping uh, holes take an apple sticker and put it over the, the I, have beamers. An, I have an apple sticker on it so it's good uh but anyway you know i got the south by southwest this year and and ford had a really big presence there and I got to tell you, I was blown away by how great the technology is in these Ford cars. And they're not, I mean, they're not paying us to say this. They're just, it's, it, it really blew me away it, that it, it's like, it, it, it's as though they're, well, they are, they're playing leapfrog. I think they realized we've been behind the curve on a lot of this stuff. We can't just make it as good as what's on the market. We have to go better now. To be clear, Ford, I do know what, what they're running, John, and they're running windows. Uh, and, and so that's kind of a, an interesting thing. Like windows CE or embedded windows, embedded or, windows or some, of some sort. Okay. But well, that, 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 that's not necessarily a bad. No, thing. it's not. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things that if I didn't say it here, then, then people would tell me, dude, you know, a Ford runs windows. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I, I use this thing. This is cool. Uh, they've got, and they've got, they've got a, a, a way of linking, uh, to your, to your iPhone. Uh, and it, it, in some ways, in fact, in a lot of ways, I like it better than what I've got in my in my X3. It's so it was smoother. The X3 is sort of a quirky thing in that regard. And, you know, when you plug in um, the Bluetooth stuff with, with my car is great. You know, the Bluetooth audio works really, really well. And I can use other other apps and, and do stuff. But if I want to plug in USB to it, I kind of am limited to the apps that they have uh, approved. And I think the same thing is true with Ford. It just felt a lot smoother and they've got more stuff. They've got NPR, they've got Stitcher, uh, they've got uh, Pandora. I mean, they've got more stuff than, than I was used to. And it's all, I can control the things on my phone with my voice in the, in the, uh, in the Ford car. And I, that's not something I can do with, with my current vehicle. So it really blew me away. And it was, it made me realize, okay, this is good. The American car companies are, and Chevy's doing some of this stuff too. I, I kind of like the Ford thing better. Uh, but, uh, but it, you know, it's good because the, the, this is what needs to be happening in the, in, in the automotive world. Cause it's, I, it's been this thing for a long time where it's been like, yeah, we've got cool tech and we're going to put stuff in, but now it seems like they're being driven by what people actually want, which is good. So I violently disagree with you. Excellent. My friend. Okay. What did oh, I, no. say? What did I, I have say? A, Oh, no, well, nothing. So, so number one, uh, my only comment about BMW drivers is that for the most part, when I see somebody on the highway doing something inconsiderate, uh, they typically have a BMW. Now you need, uh, right. And, and you have this and stigma I, in your head I, for the same reason I did. And it's because we both grew up in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Well, yes. And there are many, uh, and I would say the, the, uh, because it's a generally affluent area, the, the cars that I see most are, Beamers and Mercedes. Yeah. But I got to say is uh, now when somebody does uh, either, you know, turn signal, what's that? Or let me cut you off or let me do something stupid or let me uh, be distracted with my gadget and, and drive like an idiot it, uh, a lot of time. And maybe, maybe I just have a sharper eye on people driving these vehicles versus a, a beater. Yeah, perhaps. Right. Perhaps the, the stigma defines what you're what you're looking for, too. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I actually try to I try to be like the really nice guy, and I always let trip people in front of me, and that's what well, I, uh, I've driven with you, and 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 you, uh, yeah. I drive like I've always <laughs> driven. It doesn't, you know, yeah, doesn't right. Yeah, being considerate. But anyway, now, now I got to say the, the technology the, point of this. Yeah, technology point of this. Now, number one, I have almost zero technology in my '94 Saturn SL2, which I just got the brakes done today, and that was great fun. I love <laughs> mixing it up with the mechanics and stuff, and and. Yeah, no, it, it was fun. No, actually it was because, you know, I got this car. I'm going to drive this car into the ground and uh, had to get some maintenance work. And uh, it was great. But I have zero technology in my car, Dave. I got to say. <laughs> so so that, I got an AM FM radio. I got a cassette. Uh, the only thing that I will use is on occasion. Now, I have used my iPhone as a GPS to replace my Garmin when I'm going somewhere and I use Waze, which we talked about before. And, and it's still the neatest thing to me. So I have a Magellan uh, car mount, which is an excellent car mount. I have to do a review on this at some point. Uh, it enhances your GPS pickup, but it, it, it suction cups on my windshield, plugs into the lighter, um, runs the Waze application. And uh, I love their application. It, it, it's a, they've been enhancing it, but it, it's the coolest thing to me still crowdsourced, traffic data cool have you run it have you run no. ways or, or you do you, because the, the the thing i like about it not only is it crowdsourced but it's also uh, i think it ties into well no i think it, it, it's almost all crowdsourced it'll tell you oh well this highway has a problem because all the other people using this program are moving at 20 miles an hour so maybe you want to take a detour and it'll tell you it's like dude get off the highway because it's a mess <laughs> so I really like their concept versus some of the other programs that I've used and that they, they you know, it, it's real time and, and uh, people can report things that are happening. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. No, I, um, so, so one thing I will point out and, and this is where it actually, like I said, car companies for, for a long time have been adding technology to their cars, of course. Uh, but, but a lot of it has not been well integrated with the driver. Right. And, 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 and I mean, some of this is, is, is integration with the iPhone, but, but some now, of what it, do you get, do you have a, is it on the steering wheel? Is it a LCD screen in front of you? It's probably a, a little mix of both, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually, well, it's interested actually in the, in the UI. I mean, how do you, number one, I don't want you flailing about trying to control this thing. So I would hope a lot of it's in the steering wheel or speech or whatever, well, and that it's on a screen that's in front of you. That's ex that's just it, right? In in a car without like like a car like yours, you're touching buttons, and you have to take your eyes off the road to do all this stuff, right? And that was one of the things I really liked about this this car I have because I can do so much without really taking my eyes off the road. I can, as much as I can do with speech, I do, and like I said, it's pr it's pretty darn good. But if I need to tune something on my on my iPhone or whatever the speech on that I'm sure I could do it but it's not all that fluid but I've got buttons on the steering wheel that do that I actually have two displays my I've got the display kind of in the center console if you would but I've also got one that's just kind of uh, below my gauges in fact it almost looks like it's part of the gauges but the bottom half of my gauges is as a LCD and so as I'm doing things, the bottom half of those gauges can change. And, and that's a really that's kind of the thing I really like about this. Oh, car. really? It's I'll show it to you. It's the awesome. Gauges change the right, bottom cool. of the, the bottom half of them change. It's really it's it's interesting when you look at it. You think it's all kind of one thing, but then you realize, oh, no, the top half is mechanical. The bottom half is actually computer generated. But what that lets me do is I can roll a little knob on my steering wheel and change the song on my iPhone. And that works over Bluetooth, too. Uh, so that part works really well. 
And then you take, and it's like Ford, like I said, is taking it to the next level. And all this stuff is voice controlled and you're never, I mean, they have their, their catchphrase, which is uh, whatever it is, uh, eyes on the road, hands on the wheel, something like that. And it, it truly is. They, I mean, they really are pushing this. So I'm looking forward to where we're going to be. I mean, it's great where we are now compared to where we were even just a couple of years ago, but, but in five years, I think it's going to be even better. So, so keep, keep your eyes out and, and don't discount anyone out there because there are car companies that are working really hard behind the scenes to bring this stuff to the front. And, and just because they've screwed up in the past doesn't mean that they aren't hard at work trying to, you know, keep their companies alive and, and doing the right thing. So, so that, that's, I just kind of wanted nope. to bring it up. It's a, I'm curious what other, what other people have experienced nope. because I can't, nope. you know, I can't check, I can't test everything. So, and John doesn't test anything like this. He has his, his older car and, no. and, uh, and he's going to mess with his knobs as long as he can. <laughs> I, I've seen enough people trying to operate gadgets. And, and that's what I'm saying. Your car me. has more knobs to use than a new Ford where you're going to do everything with, with speech. No, I'm, or just, even, I'm just or saying even as of car. late, I, as of late, I, I've seen people where it's, it's very obvious to me. They are using their gadgets. Well, yeah, I saw someone, they were weaving uh, literally, I, I should have gotten a video and I should probably install a video device in my car to Another further gadget. distract me. That's right. <laughs> so that that's the thing I will say. But I saw say. someone driving. They were they were literally weaving between lanes, uh, uh, blew a light and and all this stuff. And and you know when I finally caught up to them to look over, guess what? Yes, they were using their cell phone, trying to do something that you were not meant to do while you're driving a vehicle. So I'm with you. Is that you know if properly integrated. Yeah. In the driving experience, it could be a good thing, but I see many people that, that score a big well, fail. Well, that's it. It's not this. integrated yet it, for most for most drivers and because mo- it's not integrated in most cars. I mean, like you, you're using your iPhone as GPS. That's actually a really dangerous thing. I did that um, last week. I was well, in well, I was it's in not Philly. until I touch it. Right. Once, well, I, once I reach out with ways to, and actually ways as actually realize this because they moved from touchscreen to to uh, voice and that's good uh, motion detect no they realize that this is you know even though you're momentarily saying okay there's a road hazard here blah 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 and you're punching a couple of buttons probably like a cop does when they're using their you know fancy little yeah. car computer um it's still kind of dangerous because you're taking your eyes away from the road so they the so ways to their credit has upgraded their interface to say you know what you don't need to touch the screen you can either wave your hand or speak to us so hats off to them That's for good. realizing that that it you know it's a it's a valid issue because people <laughs> not paying attention when they're driving is it's bad. terrible i've seen a lot of it um I so the, so I used I used Navigon last week on my iPad, actually, when I was uh, down in in uh, going to the Princeton Mac users group to speak there. I, I flew in, in the car. Ph- yeah, I flew into Philadelphia. How did you mount that monster? In well, your that's, car? that's you, you must beauty. have a monstrous mount. No, Go. I didn't have to have any mount. I, I actually just put it. I, I was able to kind of wedge it in the in the console. So it was good. But what was really nice mm-hmm. about the iPad is because it has the Mondo battery in it. My battery didn't run down. Yeah. Like if I ran my iPhone, you know, an hour's worth of GPS and the thing's like dead, you know, because the screen's on and it's doing GPS. But really, it's the screen on. But uh, but Navigon was was great. You know, I downloaded the maps for New Jersey and for Pennsylvania. And, you know, that's actually something I wanted to point out because I was confused on this. Navigon went from version one where the maps were embedded in the app 
to version two where you're downloading just the, the apps that you want. And the other thing they added with version two was a subscription option. And I, like everyone else, thought that this meant that now I have to pay for the maps that I used to get for free. This is not true. Believe it or not, the way it used to work is Navigon well, once, maybe twice a year would update the maps in their app. That's still going to happen whether or not you have a subscription. If you have a subscription, it all it updates you more frequently because you're 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 subscribing to this other mapping service. So so it's actually the same as it was. And it's nicer now because when you update the app, you don't have to download, you know, gigabyte and a half worth of worth of maps along with it. Uh, and they still will be doing some occasional free updates. In fact, I think I got one. But uh, but the Navigon app worked great. And, it you know, it it um, I plugged in my destinations before I uh, left. I did it actually. I don't know if it was on the plane or whatever, but but I, I plugged them in before I left. So I had everything and I didn't have to like type or mess with anything. I just hit a button and it took me where I wanted to go. But uh, but the iPad worked great because it's a nice big screen. You're not trying to, you know, figure out what this little tiny iPhone screen is. And the, I found I found navigating with the iPhone not non-optimal, but it's because I'm used to the ones integrated into a car, which is which are far smoother than, than doing the iPhone thing. But, uh, but in a rental car, you know, the iDevice is awesome because you have it with you. So it's good. So anyway, that's, uh, that's that. Do we, uh, we, I think we have time to do some questions here, John. We're going to make time to do some questions. Right. Yep. You're still with me. Okay, good. You, just, you dropped it. out a bit. Oh, okay. Well, not not for them, but only only for you. But as long as I'm back for you, then we can we can keep going. Questions? Yeah. Jason says. Jason so, writes. Not like many others. I have a dual monitor system now running ten seven three, and I have been somewhat annoyed about this issue for a long time. Specifically, I'm wondering if there's a way to change the location of where an application pop up window appears. For example, using the finder on my right monitor, if I right click on a file to show info, the information window opens up in the top left corner of the left monitor. Is there a way to have the window open in the right monitor instead? So, yeah, this is interesting. You know, it, it's funny because Apple was way ahead of the curve on this multi monitor thing. I remember I got a third party video card for my SE30. So this must have been 1990, maybe maybe 91. And uh, and I hooked up a a uh, a 13 inch color Apple monitor to this third party video card that I put in there and it worked and it worked basically like it does today where I had my SC 30s black and white screen and then I had this color screen and it was an extended desktop metaphor where, you know, I, I could drag my mouse between the two and it saw it and it worked again, just like it does today. And that's the problem. It works exactly like it does today. They haven't done anything more. It was awesome back then because I'd show this to people that had like windows and they'd be like, oh, you, you can't do that on windows without, you know, jumping through a lot of hoops. And I said, I know this is awesome. But uh, but but now it this model on the Mac doesn't work. We've got Lions full screen mode. I should be able to do full screen on one monitor and not have it turn off every other monitor. And like uh, like Jason points out. When windows open, they sometimes open in the wrong place for the finder and the get info window. Unfortunately, that's how it's going to be. Now, what you can do is you can go in to uh, system preferences and displays. And if you have more than one monitor plugged in, you'll get a second tab that's called arrange. 
on that tab, you actually physically lay out how your monitors uh, are related to each other in the physical world. And that way you can uh, drag your mouse back and forth and it goes to the spot you would expect it to on the other monitor and that sort of thing. What may, what you may not realize is you can also grab, there's a little menu bar in that little arrangement window. And if you grab that menu bar, you can move it to the other monitor that will move your menu and your dock and it will make that your main screen. So depending on what you're doing, you may choose to have, you know, a different monitor as your main screen with the finder. It's always going to do get info windows in the upper left hand corner of your main screen. That one with the uh, with the dock and the menu bar. So so that may help. The other thing is some apps. And again, this is not something the finder does, but some apps remember the window positions of their little dialogues. So you can take, you know, if a dialogue shows up in the center of one screen, grab it and move it before you dismiss it. And then next time it may actually appear uh, in uh, where to, you know, in the place that you moved it. So yeah, it's not perfect. And like I said, full screen mode is a, a glaring example of where Apple needs to work on this uh, because it would be great to go full screen with one app on your on, on one display and yet still have other apps open on this other display. But, uh, but that's not how it works currently. So it's a little yeah, frustrating. I think so I do. Do you have a, do you, are you going to prove me wrong here? Uh, perhaps. <laughs> well, I, I hate doing that because it just makes me sad. No, it's good. I want to learn more <laughs> no, about this. I'm a dual monitor. No, I would say guy. because th this is a app that I have, uh, recently delved into because I recently did a review of a USB to HDMI adapter and had a problem with something called overscan, which we're not going to talk about, but the utility that I think you may want to look at here, which may address your, your concern here is called switch res 10 version four. Okay. Have you used this? I've heard of it, but no, I haven't. But, but what I've what I've seen is that they have a mode called application sets. And I do believe that one of the things that application sets will do, though I haven't delved into it too much, but I'm going to suggest here that you may want to try this app out, and I believe they have a free trial, is that it may give you enough control depending on the application you're running, which sounds like that's the problem here. Right. Um, where to put on what screen you want to put what content. So, huh? I will humbly offer that uh, again. I, I was using it to try to solve a problem, which was not solvable. Um, I just have an old TV. This is the <laughs> right, right. This is the problem I have with running an old HD TV is sometimes overscan, and we're not going to talk about that. But switch res 10. OK, you may want to consider that because right. I think it may do. It, it seems to be sensitive to what app you're running and says, oh, you're running this app. Well, let me do this and that and that. So cool. All right. Yeah, that might uh, certainly worth a look. Cool. Sure. All right. Uh, Should we go to Robert? That's your call. You want to do Robert? I like Robert's question. And let's right. get Robert's question here. And you want to read it or you want me to read it? Uh, let's see. Hold on. Do I have it? Uh, I'll read it. You, nope. Oh, I you got, got it. it. Okay. Hi, John and Dave. Uh, awesome. I am stymied by the shared section in Finder. In theory, this should be only uh, only list of devices on my network that have file sharing enabled. After investigating this issue with an app called IP Scanner, and he did nice work here by doing that, I found out that ReadyShare is my router. What I can't figure out, though, is what the other device is. 
BRN underscore, and I'm not going to read the rest of it because it, it's important to this question. As you can see, it is not listed as a device in the IP scanner app. How can I find out more about this device and how do I make sure that my MacBook Pro is not open to others on the network? Also a valid concern. I turned off file sharing and sharing in iTunes. This is a particular concern when I travel. Thanks for your show. And uh, I think it's about it. So uh, to summarize here, what we were seeing here is that in in the sharing, uh, so in Recent versions of Mac OS X, you're going to have on the, in the finder normally, you're going to see on the left-hand side of the screen, something called shared. And these are devices that are normally broadcasting. And I, I think for the most part, and Dave, we can talk about it a little bit more, but they're mostly things that are either Apple share, AFP or SMB or, or file servers or other devices that want to share their contents with you somehow. That's a now, fair, yeah, that's, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, I don't think it's locked down to any one type of technology. It could be a number of technologies. But again, if you look in the sidebar on the left side of your screen, you're going to see shared. Well, you'll only see shared if there are devices out there. True. So that want to share on your local or, well, doesn't that be local? Could be any network, but they want to share with you. And the thing is, he was seeing something called BRN underscore and then uh, uh, a string of seemingly seemingly. random string. (laughs) (laughs) And that was not the case because due to my sharp eye, I noticed. So he was saying, well, what is this? And, And the thing is, he also gave us a list of devices that were, revealed by this utility that he found called IP scanner. And guess what? What? One of the devices that he saw in this list, and I'm so glad he sent this and just a note to the listeners, screenshots, um, emails, uh, whatever, the more info you can provide us with, but this clinched it because this solved the problem in that he had a brother MFC 8860DN device. Which is, a, a, which is a, a, a multifunction printer. Yes. And and a lot of these things not only uh, print, but they can scan. And, and I think a lot of them can share files as well if you plug in a memory card. So he, he gave us this list. It showed the device. It showed the IP address, but it showed the MAC address. And what is the MAC address? The MAC address is a address that is unique to a device uh, or should be. And it can be based on the network card in the device. It can be based on the... Uh, Wi-Fi card or Bluetooth, uh, but it's basically a value that is unique to a network interface in uh, a device. And guess what? The thing that he saw and shared that was BRN underscore blah, 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 blah. Well, the blah, blah that I just talked about just happened to be the last six characters in the MAC address of his brother multifunction device. So, Case closed. <laughs> Mystery solved. And and yeah, the good news is the good news is twofold. One, he noticed that there was a mystery device on the network and was concerned about that. And obviously, in the end, it turns out that it was uh, was a device that was supposed to be there. And, and yeah, this IP scanner tool, it's really helpful because it's going to go out and find everything that's out there on your network and tell you. A lot about it. It's it's actually a really handy little tool. We'll put a link to uh, to where you can download it in the show notes. But uh, but really helpful for, you know, in a case like this, for for diagnosing uh, what's going on in your network and just seeing what devices are out there. Really handy stuff. 
It's good. But to me, a general thing, Dave, is a lot of times, uh, more often than not, when I've seen something on a network and it has a name, an underscore, or, or some separation character, and then has six seemingly random, but not quite random characters, they're probably part of what we're calling, we're going to again call the MAC address, which is a value that any device uh, on the internet can have. And it can consist of numbers, which of course are zero through nine, but also letters A through F. So if you see something that has characters that fit that parameter, it may be because it's a value buried in the device that's on your network. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, We have time for maybe one more question and then, uh, and then we'll do some cool stuff found. So we'll jump to jump to James here. James asked an interesting question. And, and again, you know, like we try to do with, with most everything that we talk about, we try to kind of abstract it out into something that will make sense to uh, more than just the one listener with their one uh, problem. And, and James's thing turns into that. So bear with us here. James writes, is there a way to use a powerful iMac, say an i7 with quad cores, to serve access to several iPads? What I mean that is that I'm trying to determine whether it's possible to remote control a profile on a Mac from an iPad without disturbing another person working on the Mac. I've heard that this was possible when using another Mac in combination with back to your Mac. The closest I've come to this was using Parallels Mobile to remotely use a virtual machine on a Mac while the primary user is using the Mac. Okay, so... Uh, what we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the, the answer. The short answer is yes. And what this means is that you can connect. Uh, you can have one person sitting at the Mac uh, and see the screen and interact with it, you know, using the mouse and the keyboard. And then you can have another person logged into another session on that same Mac. Then they see their own screen and have their own controls. You can also do remote control where you're mm-hmm. both doing the same thing. But what James wants to do is have simultaneous sessions active from the same Mac. And can this, you do this? Yes, you can. Now, uh, Lion... With OS ten client? Lion, yes. Lion makes it really easy, really easy to do this. So let's, let's start with the easy way to do this, and then we're going to talk about how to make it happen with your iPad or your iPhone even. Uh, so if you have two Macs on the network, what you want to do is, the, the first part is, you can you can do this, but it has to be uh, each user on the Mac can only have one session going. So if I have a Dave user and I try to log into the Dave user from another device, I'm going to see that session uh, as it, you know, if I'm logged into the, the iMac at the screen as Dave and then I log in as Dave from another device, I'm going to share that screen session. I can't have two Daves running, but I could have a Dave on, on a machine and a John. And, you know, and then it's where it gets interesting. So in this example, let's say I have my iMac and I'm logged in as Dave, but I've created another user named John. What you want to do first is you need to enable other computers to control or other users to control your computer. And you do that in system preferences and you go to sharing and then you can turn on screen sharing or you can turn on remote management uh, either one is, is going to work for this uh, screen sharing is going to be the default one. But if you have a reason to turn on remote management, that's fine. Uh, and they will both work for this. And at that point you're, you're good to go. Uh, you can then take another Mac and connect it. And what's going to happen is when you connect this other Mac, you're going to log in as a user. Now, if, 
if John, if I'm logged in as Dave at the Mac and then John goes from his say MacBook pro and logs in as John, it's going to, it's going to present him with a dialogue that gives him two options. One is, do you want to log into your own session and have your own screen or look, Dave is using this Mac. Do you also, do you just want to see his screen? And so in it, to do what Jason wants to do, uh, sorry, to do what James wants to do, John would uh, choose login as his own session. And then unless he does something that would slow the machine down to a crawl, I'm not going to know that John's logged in. He can't see what I'm doing. I can't see what he's doing. We're just sharing the resources of the computer uh, to do our processing for us because John's just remote controlling it. So that's how it works with another Mac. You can do the same thing with an iPad, but you have to do a little bit of tweaking because there is no Apple software on the iPad for uh, for doing this remote control. So you have to use some third party stuff. The first thing you need to do on the Mac that you're going to control is go back into your system preferences, go to sharing. And then again, either you've either chosen screen sharing or if you know you need it, you can use remote management. And in there, you're going to click on computer settings. And in the computer settings dialog, there is an option that says VNC viewers may control screen with password. Check that type in a password. This is very important. And uh, and and then you're good to go uh, and you hit OK. And now you're going to go get a VNC program, which is uh, um, an open source, multi-platform remote control uh, piece of software. Now. I've used two successfully to do this on the Mac. Uh, I know that there are free ones available that likely will work just fine. I haven't used them. So I'm going to recommend ISSH, uh, which does more than just VNC, but it will do VNC uh, or real VNCs, VNC viewer. And they both are for pay apps. I think they're in a, the five to $10 range. And this is on the iPad uh, because controlling from an iPhone while doable is probably not something you'd want to do for very long. But uh but then you, you log in and during the login process and or during the setup process on the iPad, you actually say, I'm logging into a lion based Mac. Go ahead and let's do this, this dance so that I can log in to uh, to multiple accounts. If you don't, if you have a VNC client that does not explicitly support lion, it's still OK. What will happen is when you log in, even if someone's using the Mac, you'll get the login uh, screen with the, the graphical representations of each avatar for each user. And you just choose the one you want. And then you log in as that. So it is doable with even a, a non uh, non lion aware VNC client. So yeah, it's totally doable, John. It's fun. It's good. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Did you have questions? I, I know you, uh, you no. were okay. Yeah, it's cool. But you have to have lion max to make that work. You can, well, you can do it. Okay. For those of you that really want to get geek, for everybody else, you're all, you're good. If you want to get really geeky, you can do this on a snow leopard Mac or prior, but what you need to do is run VNC servers inside of each user's profile and then connect to those um, on different port numbers. And then you can have dip, you can have one Mac serving multiple VNC clients, but, but again, lion, Lion sort of does that automatically, whereas you'd have to manually do it and run these inside okay. user accounts. So. Well, I guess that was my question. So Lion seems to be able to isolate the logins. So you're, you're separate users and you're not going to have any any confusion. Right. 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 That's right. Whereas Snow Leopard, you have to get a little clever. Yeah. And I used to do that here with Snow Leopard. Uh, it's a big pain in the neck. It, and, it you know, you're always... 
managing this process because you have to log in first at the machine and launch the VNC server inside the user account. You know, it, it doesn't just happen automatically like it does uh, with mm. Lion. So, yeah, that's yeah, cool. Fun stuff. All right. Should we go to fun? Uh, should we, yeah, should we go to Cool Stuff Found to keep our our fun stuff going? Uh, and, oh, and gosh. Do you have a Cool Stuff Found you want to start with, or should I start with the one while you while you get ready? Let me look in my list here. Hmm. All right, well, I'll start with one while you get ready. Well, I, no. Oh, you, I'm oh, ready. Go. Okay. I'm ready, brother. You said you had to look so, in your list. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad here. So this is actually uh, something we talked about a little bit in the past here was kind of secret little things you could do with email. And I think I told you about this, Dave, where... You could um, request a return receipt, not necessarily with the the recipient knowing that they do this. And I'm still doing this, but the way to do this, and and this is what makes me sad, Dave, is is a prep pin called Secrets, and apparently they it looks like they're kind of not really doing what they're doing anymore. Huh? I don't know if you you uh, do you use Secrets? No. Oh. Okay, so Secrets is a pref pane, and I see it here in the uh, Google code base. Um, but one thing that it did reveal here on both, uh, so I haven't installed my machines here, but so Secrets lets you uh, dig into, and I think it, it's mostly terminal commands that you can access from your Mac, but at least on one of my machines here, it actually, and I'm going to go to the MacBook Pro here because I don't have it on the mini, but it actually lets you dig into some of the uh, kind of more obscure things you can do in mail. And and two of them are return receipt. So secrets. Uh, let's see here. Mail, 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 mail. And there's mail. So it has two things. And it's funny because I actually dove into the terminal and set these. And then when I ran secrets pref pane, I saw them show up in here. So uh, a few things that I think are interesting. One is it says request read receipt two and has an email address. And uh, well, as far as I know, for certain email systems, it, it seems for the most part, the ones I've investigated outlook and Blackberry. If somebody reads an email, well, you'll get a return receipt to this address. And the other one is, and this is the really weird one. And I'm trying to figure what it does, Dave. I don't know if it's a, a thing in mail or, or with the internet standards, but it has a setting called always display mail in plain text when available. And just for yucks here. Oh, that's we, nice. Well, we were talking about a while ago, we were talking about, well, just email in general. No, I think, I think it was font issues. So, so we had a question come in from a listener I, I don't recall who who was saying, why am I getting weird behavior with fonts and bold and underline and italic? And I'm like, you know what? Let me check this box in in secrets and uh, let me see how mail responds. Then all of a sudden I started getting mail that didn't have any graphics in, in, in embedded. And I was like, right. What did I do? Oh, so, yeah. But I remember what I did. And I, I don't know if. It tells mail to parse the message differently or tells no. the sender. No, I it, it tell what, me what happens is uh, mail by default will show you the HTML version of an email when it comes in. OK, now what what this does is it looks at the message it, when you send an HTML. If you send a normal mm -hmm. email, all you have to do is send the normal email with text. 
But right. if you're going to do an email with formatting, you're supposed to, and this doesn't always work, but you're supposed to send two versions of the email and mail will do this. Really? Yeah. There's a plain text. Thank you, version. brother. There's a plain text version and then there's the HTML version. So by default, mail is going to show you the marked up version, uh, but it does there the, the, in, in the, in the payload of the email should actually not in the payload in the body of it is, is this plain text alternative version for mailers that don't read HTML. And that's what this is doing is you're just switching which awesome. it's going to read by default. That's all. <laughs> it's good stuff. You amaze me. Well, you know, I've done a <laughs> lot occasion. with email on Unix machine. You know, this is, this is, this is, well, no, it, it just surprised ground. me is that again, when I got the emails, all of a sudden I'm like, wait, these emails are kind of boring and there's no graphics. What, what did I do? And then I'm like, Oh, it was researching again because so that's we the love button. Our listeners. I was researching an issue for a listener and I hit the button and it's in secrets and I'm sure it digs down into some terminal command that, that you could initiate to. Yeah, that's make- just that's setting a key called prefer plain text. Um, ah. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's it, maybe they put it in for all the people they were trying to get to migrate over from uh, for bare, from bare bones or formerly bare bones mailsmith. Because uh, because that was a plain text only email program because Rich Siegel believes that email should only be plain text. And and he's not, you know, the world uh, has changed. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, there well, is a benefit email. to doing nothing but plain text with email. I, I still, <clears throat> uh, you know, I still believe that, although there's and the rest here, I'll link to it. But yeah, I'll, I'll just offer a comment and then we'll we'll probably close this out here. But Dave, I was recently doing some research into uh, identity standards, uh, especially with licenses in the state of Connecticut. Yes, <laughs> that's quite sad. Um, the barcode that is on many drivers, licenses and other forms of ID has absolutely, as far as I can tell, no encryption or digital signature, which saddens me huh i went to i i went to the dmv because my license is coming up because my birthday's coming up oh gosh no i just told everybody oh uh. no <laughs> my birthday's coming up i'm at my license expired this year so i decided to go to the, not the dmv because the dmv in connecticut like most states is hell but i went to the local AAA office which is so much more pleasant and even though you got to pay a two dollar convenience fee i find it much better because i had to wait 10 minutes versus hours so i went there and i got an enhanced uh, id but uh what got me is that this id like the others and and also in our town now we we apparently have a number of young strapping college students who want to procure alcohol when they're not old enough so there's been a thing going on in my town where they have licenses that look pretty darn close to the real ones. But the problem is there's a barcode on the license. And the thing is, so I, I got my new license. I scanned it. I went and I will link to these tools online. I scanned it and I'm like, wait a second, I can just scan this. There's no security or anything. And the thing is there's not, and I probably shouldn't even talk about this, <laughs> but it frightens me that the barcode on identity documents doesn't have any sort of security beyond. I mean, I went to the DMV for Connecticut and they're like, Oh, here's the format of the barcode. And I actually went to a local store here and said, dude, I printed this barcode. Can you put this in your barcode scanner and uh, tell me what it says? And it's like, yep, you're John Doe, 123 Main Street, Anytown, Connecticut. And I'm like, oh. Well, that's funny. 
no, where, it's sad because the thing is- Where are we going that, with this? I'm just uh, curious where we're going with it. Uh, where I'm going is I'm going to link to tools that let you both read barcodes that you've scanned and generate barcodes. But I guess where I'm oh, going cool. is that, where I guess I'm going is that these documents, uh, on the one hand, uh, the, the barcode provides absolutely no security. And that, that actually upset a lot of my friends that, that run establishments where scanning this barcode is <laughs> something that protects them from getting busted. But now here's the good part. I got a, I'm trying to think here. I order online and it's so cool. If you want to get a cool toy, folks, get a three, and I believe it's a 345 nanometer ultraviolet flashlight. Listen, folks, he's on his own now. I don't know where he's at. I don't know. I don't know when we're going to No, where I'm going back. is that a lot of documents. So if you take a driver's license, not only a driver's license, because that's the thing that this flashlight will reveal. So there is much that is hidden, Dave, in that a lot of identity documents, including IDs, but not only IDs, but currency have little secret things embedded in them. If you, if you get a UV flashlight, you will see what is hidden. So I got right. one. It's fun. I'll cool. link to it. All right. And you've got some some Mac apps that, that we can scan barcodes and generate barcodes with? Uh they're they're online. That's good. You'll 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 give us the names of them or or link to them or they they have to remain they will secret. Be in the lovingly handcrafted show notes. Awesome. And when we're talking about show notes, what else should we talk about, Dave? Well, we, we have some more cool stuff found, you know. Really? Yeah. Oh, go. We have, you know, we have stuff from listeners. We weren't going to let you do all of it. We could do some, <laughs> clearly. Uh, so actually, there's there's one thing that's pretty cool. Uh, for we, we certainly have a, a segment of our listenership that podcasts uh, and creates their own stuff. And there is, uh, Karen wrote, uh, that her son has written this thing called mobile podcaster, which, uh, is sort of a, it's a combination WordPress plugin and workflow that will allow you to, uh, create and publish podcasts directly from your iDevices. So it's actually really, really cool. It's huh. at mobilepodcaster.com. So I love it when, when listeners or, or family members of listeners make cool things. And, and uh, so thanks for sending that in Karen. That was uh that was very, very cool. Uh, and then uh, in 389, Pete brought up uh, the, the, well, I'll read what, uh, what our listener says here. Cat food is our listeners handle. And he says uh, <laughs> it was mentioned. He or she says it was mentioned uh, an, an app that shows a free app called free app watch. And that was something that Pete mentioned. Cat food says a similar app that I like to use is F A A D free app a day. Sometimes there's a normally paid app that shows up free for a while in F A A D. So, uh, so these apps are free as you might imagine, and they're going to help you find free apps for your iDevices. And, uh, and I got one more, uh, it's not free, but it's totally worth it. I've been playing load runner on my iPad, and this is something that'll go way back to the Apple two days for those of you that, uh, that, that, that were there back when we were, but, uh, but load runners, it's, a, I mean, it's a simple little game, but it, it, it requires a lot of thinking and, and you've got little guys that are chasing you around and you're trying to dig up gold and, uh, and then escape from these, these levels. So, uh, so I've been playing a lot of load runner lately. And, and so I, we will link to, to load runner for iOS in the show notes. It, like I said, it's not, uh, it's not free, but it wasn't very expensive. I'm, I did not put it in the show notes. So I'm, I'm vamping here while I'm looking it up, but, uh, 
I think it's, it was a couple of bucks. Yeah. It was 99 cents for the iPad. So come on, you know, that's good stuff right there. Uh, and then, yeah. So, uh, we have one more comment from, uh, from listener Thad, Thad, take it away. Hi, John and Dave. This is Thad in Hawaii. And I just wanted to give you a useless, but interesting piece of trivia. The shortest word in the English language that contains the letters A, B, C, D, E, and F is feedback. Enjoy your day. Don't get caught. Aloha. John, did he say feedback? Dave, I'm almost sure that he said feedback. So feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the email address. No, no, no. Well, well, he didn't say that. Okay. Well, no, go. No, All right. Sorry to <laughs> <Sorry to> interrupt. <laughs> Everybody make sure you wish John F. Braun a happy birthday uh, a week from today, which is going to be uh, April 23rd. There he is. That's John F. Braun, the man with the reins, it seems. Uh, feedback at MacGeekab.com is the address to which you're going to send all your emails, and you can even send John a little happy birthday song there if you want. Oh. Yeah. And Dave, uh, you said feedback at MacGeekab.com, and you know what? Just I've like learned... Uh, what I've learned is that my birthday is uh, both uh, Shakespeare, kind of weird, and Shirley Temple. Get, I, I don't get it. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, that's uh, yeah, sure. That's that's where that's where you send it in, just like Thad said. Uh, you're also going to call us if you like two zero six 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 Geek, which John is four three hundred thirty five. You can visit the show notes that John lovingly handcrafts for you and for us at MacGeekGab.com. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab. Anywhere else you want to send them, John? Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. That'll work. If you want to do the Facebook thing. And Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MacGeekGab for the show. John F. Braun for him. Pilot Pete for the guy that's flying. Mac Observer for all the TMO headlines. And Dave Hamilton is me. Uh, we are not here next week because we're giving John the week off for his birthday. And, and, what? and also I'm traveling, but, uh, but it's, it's all about you, John. Uh, so we are off next week. We will be here on Thursday, uh, for Matt Geek 393 premium. For those of you that are premium members, 25 bucks for six months of premium. There's an extra two episodes per month that we produce for everyone that's a subscriber and you get access to the back catalog as well and that warm fuzzy feeling you get from supporting us but dave next week what i'm doing oh well yes. should i mention this i don't i have no idea you know i probably should but no i i i, I received a random invite so apparently i will be speaking at the connecticut macintosh connection oh that's awesome up in farmington connecticut right uh, thereabouts, yeah, they're they're kind of bopping about here, but apparently this is a user group that, uh, from what I can see, has been in existence since 1980 something. So one of the uh, awesome, probably first <laughs> before there was the Mac. No, um, the Mac was 84. Uh, uh, true. Yeah. So they invited me. I'm going to show up, uh, and I think the uh, the session will be about Mac gadgets and Mac troubleshooting, which cool. is is what I do. That's so. awesome. What uh, what day is that? Is that the 24th Tuesday night? Is that right? Um, that will be the. Uh, oh, hold on, let me look at iCal here. Uh, the 25th. 25th. Okay. So uh, they haven't updated their page yet, but once they do, I will post it and my Twitter feed at 
John F. Braun, and maybe I'm Matt Geekab. Awesome. But it'd be great to see my Connecticut brethren. It's a, it's a you know, a little uh, trek here, probably an hour drive, but uh, why the awesome. heck not? Uh, we'd also like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this show to AAC for us and for you. Cashfly as well for the bandwidth from getting it from us to you and those sponsors in the podcast marketplace, including BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander from Smile, and of course Gazelle, where you can sell your Apple stuff and more. I think, folks, that's going to do it. Like I said, we're gone next week. We will be here on Thursday for a premium show. If you've been thinking about joining premium, now's a good time to get that episode. Don't think. Do it. That's right. We certainly appreciate it. Yes, we do. Have an excellent week away. Make sure to wish my friend John a very, very happy birthday. And until we meet again, don't get caught. Made up.